Thank you for joining us today on Preventing Claims in a Hot Seller's Market. I'm Laura Prouse from Crest Insurance Services. Today, we welcome attorney Catherine Holbert from Farmer Case and Fedor. Catherine has been defending real estate professionals for 15 years throughout the state of Nevada and is a very active member of the Crest Legal Panel. Along with Catherine, we have Dave Miller, Regional Vice President with Fidelity National Home Warranty. Dave manages the Crest Advantage Home Warranty Plan, which ties into Crest's E&O insurance. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. Dave, I'll hand it over to you. Uh, thanks so much, Laura and Catherine, for joining us today. Um, you know, Catherine, I'm going to be asking you some questions here, and I hope it'll put you on the spot on some of them. But, you know, we, we watch the news, we see TV shows, we know the market is an absolute, just in a crazy state right now, especially we hear about, you know, New York's and the Californias, but we have a lot of people moving from these states to your state of Nevada, which is what we're fo uh, focusing on today. What is just your overall temperature of how crazy the market is there right now? On a scale of one to 10, we're a 12. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is crazy. It is just really crazy. Um, and there is a flood of, of people that are coming in from California. Mm -hmm. um, a particular issue, of course, that that creates is they're bringing cash. Um, and so it, um, you know, it used to be like, okay, you want your offer accepted, make it all cash. That is not even working anymore. <laughs> um, you know, so that's kind of the, the baseline of now where you're starting to try to get an offer accepted. But, um, you know, I personally have spoken with numerous brokers that are getting 50, 60 offers in on a house. Um, wow. Wow. And it just wow. is is really crazy to deal with from um, representing a buyer. It's crazy to to represent sellers in that market. Um, and the inventory is incredibly low. So not only are there a lot of people trying to buy properties, but the um, the houses out there to buy um, just are there just isn't a lot. Um, you know, the builders are starting to build again, which is good news. But still, it um, the, the inventory is very low. That's crazy. Now we're talking about obviously a hot market. What what are some of the, the tactics that you're seeing that buyers agents are are, are putting into their offers uh, to make them you know more desirable? Which ones are bad? You know, give us a, a good uh, lowdown on those. Yeah, there's there's several. Of course, like I said, you know, pay all cash. Um, you can waive um, inspections, waive um, you know any requests for repairs. Um, you can. Um, you know, just try to increase your purchase price through um, various, you know, in the beginning with um, just escalation addendums. You can do it with the appraisals. Um, one thing I've definitely seen is, you know, in 2008, the appraisers got in a lot of trouble. So the appraisers are very cautious right now in this market. And basically nothing is appraising, you know, even for the list price and, and everybody knows going in, this isn't going to appraise. Um, and so there's various things you can, you can do about it to address it. The banks are actually even having an issue with that. The appraisers are having an issue with it. Um, and of course it affects the purchase price. Um, so people are, are getting creative there. Um, there are, you know, basically love letters kind of things being written of, you know, please accept our offer for emotional reasons or, you know, things that have nothing to do with actually the contract terms. Those are very problematic. 
as you know, representing a buyer, I say don't ask your clients to do that. Um, it can cause problems all the way around, um, particularly if you're guiding them in any way of how to write those letters, don't do it. <laughs> um, and if they say, should I write some kind of letter? No, um, I, I just don't think it's a good idea. Not only do I think it doesn't really make a difference and make it more likely for your offer to be accepted, it causes problems for everybody concerned, legal problems. Um, because frankly, nobody should be making that kind of business decision on emotional factors of, you know, of, you know, they're, they're prohibited under, under the, the laws in most cases, you know, fair housing laws to make your decisions based on those kind of factors. So um, I, I definitely recommend not doing those. Some of the other tactics you can do, um, as long as you do them correctly and you, you may be able to have an advantage of, of being, you know, more likely to get your offer accepted. Right. So let's talk specifically. You mentioned a second ago about the escalation clause. What's what's the objective of this? And is there a preferred way to use it? Do you write it into an offer? Is it a separate form? Kind of go through that for us. I, ha I have seen both. Um, and, and really what it is, is with your offer, you're saying I will, um, you know, because of course, what happens a lot of times in multiple offer scenarios is you'll get multiple offers. The the seller will then send out an email, seller's agent will send out an email, we're in a multiple offer situation, everybody please submit your, your best and final offer. This is essentially a tactic to submit a best and final offer upfront. So you're letting um, the seller know that, hey, I am, you know, my offer is X. However, I am willing to beat the next highest offer you get by X number of dollars up to a certain point or not up to a certain point and can just be open-ended. Um, I, I typically will see that on an additional term section of the offer um, that just kind of have a little sentence like that. I don't like that. Um, in this case, I definitely think um, a form is more appropriate. Um, and the reason for that is, um, you know, I want there to be clear communication between the buyer and the buyer's agent and the buyer needs to fully understand what it is he's doing and the consequences of what it is that he's doing. Because the reality is he can offer to pay, you know, up to 10,000 more than his purchase price and still not get this property because somebody else may have an escalation addendum. Um, and if he doesn't put a cap on it, he doesn't then control the purchase price. Mm -hmm. um, and he needs to be aware of the consequences of that. So I prefer a form that both seller and, and the buyer sign. And the other thing is the advantage of using a different form, like an addendum that you're attaching to the main purchase agreement, is then it actually allows the seller to accept your offer, but reject your escalation addendum. Because of course the escalation addendum has got to be triggered by the buyer or the, the seller then has to give you the offer that triggers that addendum. So they may wa not wanna do that. Right. And in fact, I, I have seen, and, and I think it's actually a good idea if you're representing sellers in that situation, particularly if you have not only multiple offers, but you're receiving multiple offers with multiple escalation addendums. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to, to basically not ex not trigger any of them and you can then in that case say hey we've got multiple escalation addendum situations um you know we're rejecting all of them 
or you can actually say, I'm rejecting your escalation addendum. However, I'm countering your, your offer, but I'm just countering it at this purchase price. Does that make sense? Yes. So then you're not triggering that as, but that's hard to do if you just got all of that in the additional terms section, if you just got a little sentence in the additional terms section. So if you've got a whole separate addendum form, it's much easier for everybody to walk through it and say, we're triggering this, we're not triggering this. Okay. Any other notes or, or comments on, on just the best practices for using that form and, and how to possibly stay out of trouble? Um, you know, you, you do absolutely. The first tip is it's not like a go-to thing automatically in every case we're using this. Absolutely not. It's something you very much have to think through. And the other thing you need to be aware of, you know, brokers and agents need to be aware of is it's, uh, it's a practice that's, that's frowned upon by, um, the uh, compliance divisions, both the Realtors Association and more particularly the Nevada Real Estate Division, um, they don't like the practice primarily because there isn't a uniform form that everybody is using. Not everybody is doing it the same way. Um, not everybody's handling it the same way when they're representing the sellers. And so um, it just basically makes the, the division uncomfortable. Um, the division is not saying you can't use it, um, but they're saying, you know, use it with caution. Um, and I think that that's, that's a good stance to take and, and they do need to, to very much use it with caution. Um, as an agent, your broker needs to be aware of when you're using an escalation addendum. And, and it's worth a, 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 you know, a five minute phone conversation with your broker. This is the circumstances, you know, this is the property, this is the list price, this is what we want. Because of course you have to realize, you have to remember that your starting point with all of this is um, I've got, you know, you're setting a purchase price. You're submitting an offer that already has a purchase price. In reality, that should be a fair, reasonable offer. The only reason you're even using this addendum is this property is not going to go for a fair, reasonable price. <laughs> so you're kind of trying to jump ahead of everything and, and realize that, hey, how crazy is this price going to get? How far am I willing to go with it? And so you should be thinking those up front and let your client know, um, you know, how far do you want to go with this? Um, so that should definitely be have a conversation that you have with your potential buyer. You you definitely have the conversation with your broker. If you think that this is a good, that you think that this is a scenario with, hey, if we do this escalation addendum, I think it may give us an advantage that may work. Um, then you take the time and make sure you present it right. Okay. Now you mentioned forms a few minutes ago. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are there like Northern Nevada forms and then there are Southern Nevada forms. And then doesn't Vegas have their own forms? I mean, it's tricky for realtors in Nevada to figure out which ones do I use? Can you, can you touch on you know, that? No, it, it's tricky and it's not tricky because, um, you know, the, the Nevada is um, uh, very much Northern and Southern. Um, and then with a lot of rural areas in between. So there's the Southern Nevada area is Las Vegas, the metropolitan area, basically Clark County. And their realtor association is the Nevada realtor association, LVR. Um, and they basically put out all the forms that everybody in Southern Nevada is familiar with and uses. Northern Nevada, which is Washoe County, the Reno Sparks area has got a different association. Uh, I think it's the Nevada Realtor Association that they have up there. They use 
different forms. So their purchase agreements are different. Um, there is like a statewide Nevada real estate division, um, which really puts out one form, the seller's real property disclosure form. Um, that's it. The rest of the transaction forms are done by the individual um, realtor associations. And the forms are not exactly the same. Um, but you have to be aware of how your own form is and how it is set up. And that if you are dealing with somebody um, that's in another part of the state, that their forms might be different. Um, so that is important to use. Now, the other thing, though, is like this specific, if when I reference um, the form addendum form for this um, escalation addendum, that is not put out by either association. So those forms that you do see out there are basically done by brokerages that have created their own form. Um, I personally have worked with a couple of different brokerages, both in the North and the South to kind of help them develop their own form. Um, but that's something that, um, you know, each individual brokerage needs to get with their, their risk management attorney to help them you know, develop this form or use it or, or don't, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, if you're not going to take the time to, to get with, with legal counsel and develop a good form, just don't do use escalation addendums. Great, great advice. Let's move over to, uh, to the appraisal addendums. What, what are you seeing and what's happening when the offers are coming in higher than the appraisal? Um, <laughs> You know, and it's it's a tricky thing. And of course, the, the addendum we were just talking about is tied to um, everybody else's purchase price. So basically, that's what you're competing against. And that's what your escalation, that's what you're escalating is your purchase price relative to everybody else's purchase price. When you get with the appraisal addendum, you're escalating your purchase price based on the appraisal price, which, of course, nobody has at the time that the offer is made. Uh, and of course, both purchase agreements, both in the North and the South, contain provisions in there on appraisal. And they have various contingencies of what happens if this property doesn't appraise. So you're not, you have to be aware of what those specific things are. You can't just write in your, you know, your terms and addendum, you know, we'll pay 10 grand over appraised value um, because you're, you're changing contract terms that already exist and they're already contingent and you have to be aware of that. Um, of course, if you're not getting an appraisal at all, then you're never using this. Um, you know, if, if your tactic as, as a buyer is I'm paying all cash and I'm waiving all appraisal contingencies, I don't care what it appraises for, I'm not getting an appraisal, then that's fine and that's just what you do. You just set your purchase price and you pay it and you don't worry about the appraisal. If you're going to get an appraisal, uh, whether you're paying cash or getting a loan, and of course, if you're getting a loan, you have to get an appraisal. So if there's going to be an appraisal, you have to address the appraisal contingencies. Now, the appraisal contingencies that are already in the contract may be sufficient. Generally, they say, they give you three options, generally speaking. They say, um, you know, we'll just go ahead and pay the purchase price regardless of the appraisal or it says we'll renegotiate, or it says we can cancel the contract. Yeah. The purpose of the, of the um, appraisal um, addendums or additional terms that I'm seeing is basically to pre-renegotiate, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yep. So since everybody knows that that's where you're gonna end up is in the renegotiation process because it is not going to appraise, we may as well address that upfront, which is not a bad idea at all, 
as long as it's done correctly. Um, so typically what I'll see though is just a, um, a short sentence in there that again says, you know, we'll pay 10 grand over the appraisal price um, regardless. Um, and, and it, you know, that may, may be sufficient in some cases. It may not be sufficient in some cases. Um, you need to clearly, I think at the very least, you have to say, you know, we're basically exercising option B of the contract. You have to reference the contract terms and, and say, you know, we're, you know, we're leaving A, we're leaving C, but on B, we're changing B slightly to say, you know, we're pre, we're pre renegotiating. Um, and this is what we're willing to do. Um, and, and of course, it's, you know, you have to get the appraisal and then it's triggered. Um, and, and in both cases, you've got to, the, the initial offer you write then does not have a good purchase price. And that of course can become very problematic because everybody needs to know what that purchase price is. Sure. Um, the title company, both the buyer, the seller, the lender, whoever else may be involved. And so um, both of these you know, procedures are a way to get to a final purchase price but everybody needs to understand and remember from the get-go, at some point in time, we need a new addendum <laughs> that right. clearly sets forth, this is the purchase price that we've agreed to because the appraisal came in at X number of dollars or you know, the, the, we, we executed this addendum. I mean, there's gotta, be, there's gotta be some other document that follows up with this where both parties sign basically a, a, another addendum to the purchase agreement that says everybody agrees at this point in time, this is the final purchase price. Gotcha. Let's talk about uh, contingencies real quick. Obviously, we are in an epic seller's market um, and, and, and we have and sellers know that there's going to be 15 offers in most cases. So they can be pretty picky on not only who they select and what offer, but pretty much saying the house is as is, and there's gonna be no ones, you know, they can get their own inspection, but uh, we're not gonna fix anything. And there's not gonna be a home warranty. There's not gonna be, you know, this service that would usually be on there. What are the dangers in that, in this real estate market? Um, well, it's, it's problematic. And again, you know, um, you know, obviously as you're representing the seller, that's, you don't want to, I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to fix anything, you know, you don't have to pay for anything. You're going to get lots of offers that come in. So as you're representing the seller, it's okay to say, you know, we're waiving that. The problem comes in when you're representing the buyer. Um, and as a buyer's broker, I think it's, it's, it's incumbent upon you as a buyer's broker to basically, you know, if you ask for all of that in your initial offer and it gets countered back saying, hey, no, we're not paying for any of that or is your represent, you know, you're talking to your buyer and you're saying, look, we probably need to waive this to have our offer even mm -hmm. considered. Then you can, you absolutely can say, you know, we're not going to make you pay for any repairs. We're not going to make you pay for a home inspection. We're not going to make you pay for a warranty. However, you need to be having that conversation with your buyer of, you should still do this stuff. Right. Um, you should still get a home inspection. And, you know, if the home inspection is horrific, you want to reserve your right to back out entirely based upon that home inspection. Um, and you don't, you know, you can still get the home warranty and you should get the home warranty because it provides a lot of protection from you. You're just going to have to pay for it yourself. Um, so I think that, that, um, uh, in really all of those circumstances, I don't think so much, nobody should be waiving them 
it just you're putting the the seller's not going to pay for them so the buyer needs to um and i think that needs to be clear in a strong offer that hey we're not going to make you pay for any of this stuff but we still want to do it for our protection um, and if you're representing a seller, you should never have a problem with them getting a home inspection or them, you know, right. doing whatever. Um, the, the only issue that that could be is timing, um, because the home inspectors, of course, are crazy busy, too. Mm -hmm. And I've been told that, that they're now scheduling maybe two weeks out. Well, mm -hmm. if they want a 10 day close and you're not going to have time to get it inspected that may be an issue and that may be something you have to decide um, a home warranty should not be a timing issue it's it's usually something that can be done in, in a day or two um, and and especially if you're not getting an adequate home inspection you want to make sure you've got a home warranty <laughs> Absolutely. So that is something that, again, I would never waive. I would just say, you know, in this particular market, you're going to have to pay for it, but you should still get it. Well, perfect. Uh, representing Fidelity National Home Warranty, we love hearing you say that, that warranties have value uh, because we have been in a market where they have been getting, you know, waived and, and not paid for. But I, I see them as the most you know, important or one of the most important parts of the uh, the purchase because, you know, after the, the sale occurs, you know, that ship is sailed and, and the warranty will go with you and it'll protect the home's appliances and systems and such. And of course, we have uh, great Fidelity reps in uh, Nevada. We have uh, Andy Grogan up in Reno area. We have Ken Shilke in Vegas and Terry Estrada over in the Henderson area. And we even have the Crest Advantage Home Warranty, which is the logo behind us that ties into the E&O insurance with Crest. So if you're with Crest Insurance and you, and you use the Crest Fidelity Warranty, uh, it could help reduce your E&O deductible if you're named in a lawsuit. And if you're representing the sellers, it could provide them with $50,000 of E&O insurance. So in a competitive market where you're trying to get listings, using the warranty to give those sellers, your sellers, $50,000 of E&O is, uh, is great value. So make sure uh, if you're watching this, you reach out to your uh, representative that I just mentioned and, um, and order that Crest Advantage home warranty. Um, Catherine, one more question for you. Now, we've talked about the the buyers and there being 15 of them. Okay, let's just say, for example, there's 15 offers on the property and the one agent uh, gets their offer accepted. We have 14 agents now that did not, and 14 buyers that did not get their offer accepted. Are those agents more prone to be in a lawsuit? Or, I mean, hey, you were my buyer's agent and you didn't get me that property. Are they now susceptible to claims because their offer wasn't accepted? Um, you know, it is, it is difficult. It is a difficult conversation that I have been having with brokers. Um, because like I said, the, um, uh, you know, the real estate division doesn't like these escalation addendums. The, um, you know, the associations don't necessarily like these escalation addendums, but there are people using them and there's brokers that don't like these escalation addendums. Um, I have been told that there's brokers that simply will not consider an offer if it has an escalation addendum. Um, I think that's problematic. And if you're representing a buyer, potential buyer, and you say, hey, I don't like escalation addendums. I don't want to use one. They find out that the person that got the property that they fell in love with and really wanted got it because they used the escalation addendum. Yes, I think you're running a risk. Yeah. Um, and the reality is clients is who sues you. 
that's who you get sued by when you know when lawsuits occur um the the majority of the time is you know it, it's your own client a lot of the times that initiates the lawsuit which is unfortunate but that is just the reality um and i think that you have to you know if you're that agent representing one of those 14 people whose offer didn't get accepted they're going to want to know why now of course the the agent that's representing the the seller who chose which offer to get accepted doesn't have to tell you anything they don't have to okay. explain to you the reasons why um and in most cases they don't they just say hey we've chosen to sit, take another offer um but you know it, to the extent that you know you're going to have to explain to them and you're going to want to show to them i did everything i could to get your offer accepted yeah, you know, I did everything. And, and like I said, me. in today's yeah. market, that may include the proper use of one of these event escalation addendums. Right. Yeah. And essentially, it's like, hey, I did buyer. I did everything that you asked me to do. And, and I was upfront with everything that I was going to do. So, um, boy, tr just tricky stuff. Right. I, Risk it, can never be eliminated. It just has to be managed appropriately. And there's there's ways to do that. And and, the, and yeah, that starts with being aware of where the pitfalls are. <laughs> Wow, what a what a great closing comment. Uh, that is so true, so true. Catherine, thank you so much for your time. Obviously, you have a, a pulse of what's going on in Nevada. And I apologize for all the Californians coming your way. Uh, <laughs> it might be me too soon, but uh, hopefully we don't bring all of our litigious um, uh, tr tributes to us uh, to, uh, to Nevada. So um, I appreciate your time today. And thank you so much for giving all the members of press uh, this information. Uh, and again, thank you for your time. It has absolutely been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Laura, back to you. No, just jump in here real quickly. That was incredibly informative and wow, what a market. Um, Catherine, thank you so much. Really, really valuable information. Dave, great questions as always. Thank and you. to everybody who's watching, thank you for watching. Um, a copy of this webinar is available on the Crest Insurance homepage. It'll be under the Claim, Claim Prevent blog tab.